the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Our gospel reading was just a portion of the sermon text for today. I'm basically covering the whole chapter of Matthew 9 and a couple of verses in chapter 10, but we'll still get out of here on time. Okay? I won't be going verse by verse, but I want to share with you the context of all that's taking place and how Jesus is really giving us a preview of the kingdom. Dear friends in Christ, in these accounts of Jesus' ministry, he often does give a, a preview of the kingdom of God. You know, what would it look like in the, on this broken planet full of broken bodies, broken hearts, broken lives, if the creator were to fully rule and recreate this world? Well, especially in the ninth chapter of Matthew, Jesus gives us a preview of it. There's a day when uh, Jesus is teaching uh, in Capernaum, and he's in a house, and that house is full. And there's uh, four guys who have learned about uh, Jesus doing healings, and so they have a friend who's a paralytic, and they bring him to that house, but they can't get in to that house. And they end up, we know, going up on a roof, and they start opening a, a hole, ripping a hole open in that roof. And inside, Jesus is teaching, and all of a sudden there's probably dust and clay coming down, and finally probably a column of light, and he looks up and he sees this man being lowered down to him. And Jesus looks at the man, he doesn't say, like, what are you doing here? He says, your sins are forgiven. Now, there are some religious leaders who are in the group inside that house, and we know that they belong to that sect called the Pharisees. And they think to themselves, you have the authority to forgive sins? Who do you think you are, God? Well, Jesus responds in this way. He says, for which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And the man gets up and walks. Jesus is giving us here a preview. Do you know what the kingdom of God is like? Well, Jesus gives us a snapshot. You can call it even a trailer. You see, sins are forgiven. Dancing and walking are really restored. This is what happens when the creator of the world recreates. Well, Jesus is giving us that preview. But understand that when Jesus is talking here about the kingdom of God, that there are other kingdoms that are in existence. You know, if you were a citizen of Israel at that time, well, then you were under the kingdom of Herod. Or more broadly, you were under that kingdom of Rome. Your king would be whoever the current emperor was. Caesar Augustus, Tiberius, Claudius, or even later Nero. That was your king and the kingdom in which you lived. 
And you were reminded that you were a part of that kingdom as you would travel on the roads and you'd go maybe on a major trade route and you'd have to go past these tax collector booths to pay your Roman taxes. The kingdom of Rome had its power and authority over you. And they would remind you of that. Right outside that city of Capernaum was a tax collector's booth where a man named Matthew was working. And Jesus says to Matthew, follow me. And we know that that was very unexpected since tax collectors were obviously considered unclean by the religious society. But we see here that Matthew got on his feet and he followed Jesus. And he became one of those 12 chosen disciples. And the story gets weirder. That evening, Matthew has a party in his house to celebrate his departure. And he's got his tax-collecting cronies along with Jesus there, too. And when the Pharisees see this, as we saw in that reading of the gospel, they, they treat it like a scandal. Why is Jesus eating with a bunch of sinners? And Jesus responds, well, it is the sick people who are in need of a physician. And that's a snapshot of the kingdom of God. Some people who are on the outside are now on the inside. And those who think that they should be on the inside because of their moral cleanliness, well, they find themselves on the outside. As you watch the calling of Matthew and that party, that dinner, the confrontation and the response, you see that Jesus is giving us a preview of the kingdom of God. There's another day in Capernaum when Jesus is on a boat, and when he docks, there's a leader of the synagogue who approaches him. And he kneels before Jesus, and he pleads to him, and he says, please help me. My 12-year-old daughter is dying. Now, I don't know what that leader had thought of Jesus prior to this, but we know that he sure needed help now. And Jesus says that he will go and he'll see the man's daughter And they leave the beach and they get into these streets that are really crowded. They're narrow in Capernaum. And all the people crowd around Jesus. And there's that woman in the crowd who's been suffering from an ongoing bleeding disease for at least 12 years. And she's thinking, if I can just touch Jesus, I'll be healed. And she reaches out and touches his cloak. And Jesus stops there and he turns around and he says, who touched me? And the woman The text says says that he felt energy go out of him. And she confessed that it was her. And she tells him the whole truth. Can you think of anyone who might be really a little impatient at this moment? How about that man, the father of the dying 12-year-old? You know, here Jesus is listening to the woman's whole story. And finally, when the daughter's father gives up hope, well, Jesus comes to the man's house and The daughter is dead. But Jesus says, no, that girl is not dead. She's sleeping. And he reaches out his hand to her and brings her back to life. Now, these accounts may sound unusual to you, but they probably should. Think about it. If there's a creator out there, and there's this creator who comes to this planet in the person of Jesus... And if Jesus' mission is to give us a preview of God's rule in a broken world of what that would look like, well, I'd expect some people to be raised to life. I'd expect the lame to be walking. 
I would expect those people who are on the outside to be on the inside. Why? Because of Jesus. With each of these stories, these previews, you know, Jesus basically says, well, is there something you think you might want to see? Is there something that you may want to commit to yourself? And he teaches his disciples, of course, how to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. People's reactions to Jesus were really mixed. There were those who were fanatical followers of him. We know that. There were others who thought that Jesus was a fraud and he needed to be exposed. The more that Jesus' popularity had escalated, well, the more pressure there was for the Pharisees to give what you might call a press release on what their group opinion of Jesus was. And that press release is found in Matthew 9.34. It says that the Pharisees said he casts out demons by the prince of demons. Now, they can't deny the fact that Jesus had power, but they would debate the source of that power so that the claim was that he got it from the dark side. It wasn't from God. Well, I would say to you that this statement that they made really made a transition in the ministry of Jesus. So what happens next? You know, if you're in a dull and lifeless religion, or if you're observing those who, have spiritual, who are spiritual hypocrites, and perhaps that's troubled you, well, then you'll be very interested in knowing what happens next. In that passage today, we are going to learn not only about what Jesus did, but how he felt about what he did. What happens next is a road trip. Jesus goes on tour with his disciples. And that part of the story kicks in in the next verse. It says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. What if the creator was to recreate, as we see here? That's what Jesus proclaims. And also, he continues to heal every disease and every affliction. Now, there were about 200 villages that were located in Galilee. And it says that Jesus went through all of them. Imagine the overwhelming need that he encounters over and over again. And what was the opinion of the people that he had encountered? I'm sure it was all over the map. There were certainly people who would show up with theological and philosophical questions, and they would learn from what he said and listen to him. I'm sure there were a bunch of people who didn't care a thing about what he was teaching. And Jesus just keeps traveling to town after town after town. And what was he feeling? Well, we see that what Jesus is feeling and experiencing is really going through two different agricultural crises that are explained here. Crisis number one had to do with livestock. And crisis number two had to do with grain. Jesus uses that imagery of livestock and then the image of grain to explain how that journey really affected him. The next verse, 36, says, When he saw the crowd, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Something deep within Jesus' spirit is really stirred here. And he views the crowd as sheep. 
They're helpless. They're being harassed. The shepherd's job is, we know, to get the sheep from where they are to where they need to be without them getting perhaps injured or even eaten along the way. And animals in the animal kingdom, we know they've got different defensive techniques. But what do sheep do? They baa. That's about it. You know, sheep aren't going to run away, right? They're not going to be able to hide in a shell for protection like turtles. They're not going to be able to stink so that the other animals will stay away from them. That's why sheep need shepherds. The people that Jesus encountered, you know, they had plenty of people telling them what to do. They had the Pharisees having them follow really useless rules. But the Pharisees, you know, they were the ones who offered religion without mercy. They offered rules without grace. Theirs was a lifeless religion. And the analogy of sheep and shepherd is found elsewhere in Scripture. You go all the way back to the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 34. And Jesus is the one who really has an indictment of the Jewish leaders of Israel. As he compares them, those Pharisees, to those leaders at the time of Ezekiel. Those were the ones who Ezekiel rebused because Ezekiel says, you're not even being leaders to the people. I have to wonder if Jesus maybe perhaps feels the same about us today when he sees us floundering in our ministry or we're governed by lifeless rules or we're chasing after things that just really don't fulfill us. That second agricultural crisis is described in verse 37. Jesus says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. If you're a farmer, you know that there's a window where the grain is ripe, but not overripe. And in that window, that's when the worker must gather the grain. Jesus is saying there's basically no workers here. There's a sense of urgency in his words. We see that. Crops left to stand, you know, they can become food for locusts. Hail can sweep in and really just knock the crops down. They can even spoil there on the stalk. So where are the harvesters for these crops? Well, we might expect Jesus to commission the 12 disciples in chapter 10 and just say, well, get on your feet and harvest the ripe grain. But instead he tells them to get on their knees. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus tells them to pray. How many times have we even tried to do ministry as God's people together, or maybe yourself on an individual basis, and you, know, you, you make your attempt or action, and then afterwards you pray to the Lord about it? How much better would things be if we would first pray for the Lord's guidance, his direction and his blessing, and then take on that particular action of our plans? In chapter 10, there's two words that are really interesting. I want you to notice at the beginning of this chapter, he says, he calls to himself his 12 disciples, 
gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and affliction. And notice the difference in verse 2. It says the name of the 12 apostles are these. See, in verse 1, you've got the word disciples. And then in verse 2, they're called apostles. Now, we know a disciple is a student, a learner. And an apostle is one who is sent. Well, as we see this, the students of Jesus, these disciples, they are the ones who are there. They are now being sent out with a message. And in today's world, you know, we come in and we soak up God's word and here and in Bible studies and we learn of Jesus. We understand what he wants us to do. And that is to go out, to imitate that heart of Christ. And so we are the ones who are now sent, and not those 12 disciples and others at that time. There's going to be not 12 being sent, but 8 next Thursday, this coming Thursday already. We're going to Alaska. And we're being sent to reach out with that gospel, that heart of Jesus, to touch the lives of children and families up there. You are the ones who are going to be here, supporting us, obviously, with your prayers. But you've got that same mission right here in this place. It's the heart of Jesus that really brings energy and urgency and expectation to us. You know, if your heart starts to beat with the heart of Christ, and you start to experience a movement that you know, God's leading you to do something, well then, perhaps you may be experiencing these three things as well. You know, first, that new energy. Now, you, know, you may find that when you're doing something uneventful like watching TV, all of a sudden a friend comes to mind. And you remember that they're going through some really great trouble. And so you find yourself getting up, turning off that TV, and giving him or her a call to see what's going on and maybe how you might be able to help. There's a new energy that displaces those things which are normal in our lives, and instead we find something that's much more important. You're eager to do things like giving of yourself for others, and you don't have any guilt about that. There's no obligation, but there's an eagerness to really respond. Now, if people are like sheep without a shepherd, and there's a harvest without harvesters, and this reality really you know, begins to sink in you, well, maybe you'll experience this new kind of energy I'm talking about. That second word is urgency, a realization that the stakes are really high, especially for those other people. God wants to involve us in something that he's about. And you know, maybe you've been sitting on the bench as a Christian, God wants to get you into the game. Why? Because you can involve yourself seriously. You know, you just don't go with the flow of things. And you can really be in awe that God is the one who is calling you to involve you in something that is so much bigger than yourself. Let that sense of urgency develop in you. And that last word is expectation. You know, what if God and Jesus are not just in the past, as some people think? We know he's not. 
What if God is working now as he does? What if Christ has compassion for people now? We know he does. Expect God's movement here and now in your own life. You know, what will God be pleased with what we do here? Here in this place called Trinity, as we go out into the community. You know, there's a term, it was called the, the Great Awakening. And it referred to a number of periods that were involving religious revival in America. And it happened from the 18th century to the late 20th century. And theologians and historians have identified three or sometimes four particular waves of increased religious enthusiasm in that period. And that was because churches were becoming lifeless. They were going farther away from God's will. Well, perhaps the next great awakening may happen in our lifetime. With our hearts beating like Christ, we know that we have a heightened sense of expectation that God is on the move. I hope whatever is happening in your heart, that it won't rub off soon. My hope is that as this heart of Christ catches you, that it may catch others as you speak to them, as they see that you are different, that you are that light of the world, as we saw in the video, a city on a hill, and that that heart of Christ will capture them and not let them go either. May you go forward with that promise of him being with you, that your joy is, first of all, because of his joy for you and me. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all of our understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, who is your Lord and Savior. Amen. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.